my great joy to introduce to you the three musketeers hailing from the land of remote work. We have Marissa, career coach and queen of all. We have Jeff, our sassy SEO shaman. And we have Diego, who has spent his 20s building a community of remote working lunatics. Sure, these folks are going to be the people that will get you beach commute ready. And they'll do it in the most exciting way possible. So, happy listening. Welcome, everybody, to the Digital Nomad Experts podcast brought to you by Beach Commute. Got Jeff and Marissa coming at you today, and we're going to talk about, actually, we weren't exactly sure what to talk about today. Then we thought, you know what would be kind of fun? Like Everybody wants to know about adventures. First thing they ask, oh, what did you do when you get back? What did you do? And sometimes my answer is, uh, well, I worked for four weeks straight and I didn't leave my Airbnb. Uh, and sometimes <laughs> the answer is something like I repelled off a 120 foot waterfall or we went to, I don't know what the Nigeria Oracle is, but we're going to talk about a Nigerian <laughs> Oracle. We got, we got stuff all over the board today. We're going to talk about our top adventures um, because that is a big part of why we are digital nomads. And that is a big part of what you could expect, maybe not on a weekly basis, but more like maybe on a monthly basis, kind of depends on where you're going, something that you could expect as part of being a digital nomad. So without any further ado, Marissa, what is, when I ask you the top adventure that you think of, maybe it's the most, I know what you're probably going to answer, it's probably <laughs> the most recent one. Tell me, yeah. about, tell me about an adventure that's going to blow my mind. Yeah, mine is definitely my most recent one, which was isn't always the case, but it, it's fresh in my mind. But also, I think it honestly was the most adventurous week of my life and the craziest life-threatening times of, of my life. I made it out alive, so we're here. But for me, it hi. was... Hi, glad you made it. Hi, I'm here. I'm glad to be here. You got to live on the, on the edge a little bit sometimes. So I was just in Namibia for a lot of last month. And some of that, I was living the traditional nomad life. But I actually took a week off and did a proper sort of vacation in between nomading which I don't often do. So most of the adventures we'll talk about really are just my weekend trips, the same as yours, as we're living and working and whatever destination we're in. But this was a full week road trip that I did through Namibia. And I'll give just one little snippet of, of the most adventurous part of it. And But it really was a week full of this. So we were driving. We had just been to this village in the north of, of Nigeria. Of, I was like, what country was I in? Namibia. Visiting this village of local, just like this really cool local tribe there who still lives as actual nomads, which is neat. Not digital nomads. They're literally moving across the land where cattle and water are. And from there, we were driving to the next destination south and on Google Maps, if you look, it says it's like a five hour drive. But I was talking to the woman beforehand um, at a hotel who was just more knowledgeable than me. I planned this thing literally the day before we left. And she looked at me and was like, you're, you're crazy. If you think you can drive this in one day, you, this is going to take you at least 11 or 12 hours. And she was like, if the roads are there. And I was like, what do you mean like, <laughs> if the roads are there? I didn't fully understand until I was on it, but we had strangely been there on, they got more rain in the last couple of like days and weeks than they'd had in the, the previous entire year. So this was a weird fluke time. And so when we drove, we drove for probably four or five hours just in the rain. And then we we're an hour from where we were going to stop midway to at this campsite to, to take a break before driving another six hours the next day. 
And the rain just kept getting more and more. And we got to these points where I say you're on a road. It's like a gravelly dirt, you know, questionable road. And then you just kept getting kind of these rivers started happening, like that would just overflow across the road. And they kept getting bigger and bigger and a little scarier and scarier until we got to, but all of them were crossable. So we're in this giant car with all of our belonging campsite on the top, or uh, what do you call it? Tents on the top of the car where we were sleeping. And all of a sudden we got to one river where we're like, all right, we've been, you know, we've been able to drive through the rest of them. Why not this one? And we enter and the car just took a nosedive. And when I say the water came up over the top of the car, like it looked like a tidal wave over us and water's draining the person in the front seat, there's water draining into the car. And literally my thought there was, okay, I've lost all my belongings. My passport's about to be gone. We have no ride. We're in the middle of nowhere. Haven't seen someone in five hours. No cell service. Our car is where we've been sleeping on top. Like we have nowhere to sleep. Like this will be, this will be fun. We were able to reverse out of it, luckily. Later realized, we got to a park days later, and the guy was like, where's your front license plate? And we realized, like, the river had literally, like, taken our license plate off. The river ate it. (laughs) The river had eaten it. We didn't even know. Like, it was that intense that it can literally rip the metal, like, screws out of our license plate. Like, this thing was moving fast. So eventually, we, we, like, found a place further downriver to cross and realized, like, it's getting dark. You're, You're legally not allowed to drive in these middle of nowhere places in Namibia in the dark because it's dangerous due to wild animals like lions and leopards and like literal you know literal giant animals it's a it's the least one of the least populated countries in the world so there really are animals everywhere and we're now in between these two like giant rivers it's getting dark we can't get to where we need to go and we're likely in a very dangerous potential spot with animals so we had to camp literally just between these two rivers and woke up you know it was not much of a night's sleep my friend would wake up you know rachel she's like where is that she like thought she was hearing animals attacking us it's, it's scary when you're like out in out in the bush in the middle of nowhere and Anyway, we opened our tents in the morning and there's like zebras running by. And later that day we drove. So the rivers actually had died down in the morning, which is great. So we could get to where we're going. And we picked up a guy on the side of the road driving <laughs> to good idea. This, somebody had stopped. At, it was a woman who really looked like she more like tour guide sort of person. We finally ran into someone who said she had driven him to like pick up these tools and he needed a ride mm. back to where his car was. So he was a local guy. We picked him up and he was like hiding on the side of the road. And she was like, he's near this yellow hut. So we stop at the yellow hut. He jumps in our car and he, as we're talking, he was like, thank you so much for this ride. It's dangerous out here. We're like, what do you mean? He was like, there are lions. This is like 20 minutes from where we had slept for the night. So anyway, that was adventure number one. That was one of many moments on our Namibia road trip that were an adventure for sure if i may you, you may. slept you slept in a you slept in a tent right yes. on top of on top of yes there were tents that would like unfold off of the top of the the truck which was so cool and there were lions out there right so theoretically a lion could just jump on your tent yes it was so funny rachel at one point there, there's like little ladders that you can pull up and down you know so you you mm-hmm. unfold the tent off the top of your car and then there's these ladders that kind of go down maybe i don't know six or seven feet 
And Rachel, literally, as we're going to sleep, she was like, should I pull my ladder up so that lions can't climb up here? And we're like, Rachel, lion's not it's- climbing up the ladder. <laughs> He's jumping <laughs> on the star. Second question. What did the research process look like before you decided to bomb off into the wild unknown? Of Namibia in general or this yeah, particular day? Yeah, I mean, clearly, of the first stranger that you ran into told you it was a bad idea. So what, what, she didn't say <laughs> what it was happened? a bad idea. She it's just dangerous said, this is going to take you. No, she was just like, this is going to take you longer than you think. I you mean, need the to guy, stop at this, the, this town. The, oh, the, the guy, guy afterwards. Sorry. Yes. The second stranger that, that was into. danger. Well, the plan, the plan was to get to the, you know, if you sleep at the campsites, which are, you know, we had in our maps, I downloaded offline. You know, we never had any problems getting to the places other than this one night. So sometimes there's just those unforeseen things. Like if, if there had been no rain, uh-huh. we would have gotten there two, three hours earlier. But crossing these rivers took so long that it got so dark. And, and then we literally could not cross. Like our cars could we just got to places. We ran into one other car finally coming at us because we thought we were close. We're like, this must be the last giant river we're going to fucking cross. And then they were like, nope, getting worse and worse. They were like, just came from where you're going. Don't bother. So we're like, all right. But to your question, the research of it was absolutely none. <laughs> so we, we ran into this. And that's the style <laughs> I like to travel. Most people are, you know, if you got your type A planners out there, will take like we ran into this couple who was on their honeymoon several days later and she was like i've been planning this for you know seven months i've read three books all on namibia we're like by the way you should you know walk through the rivers first before you cross in your truck so you don't nosedive she was like yeah the guidebook told us that we're like cool cool so literally we i mean i arrived in namibia on a friday saturday i sat in the hotel with this woman who happened happened to find who gave me some more advice but i planned this whole thing and a matter of four hours with her, which most people do in four months to a year. But I don't like type A planning. If I have to do it, I will. So I joke, I was like, I fit four hours of type A planning into, you know, or sorry, four months of type A planning into four hours. And it was exhausting. My brain was really tired, but I just kind of like to wing it. Like I like to just show up and you know we asked the, the car rental people told us a few things so we asked her you know we had i knew a couple of people who had done it before they gave us mm-hmm. a few tips but really it was just the wild west and that was a long story the rest won't be this long any other questions i, I like i like going with people that do the planning for me i just want it me done. Too. So that's my version of winging it is not doing it at all <laughs> Yes, that's that's why you normally travel with Nikki, who plans everything for us. Nikki plans everything (laughs) to a T, including the food. It's an entirely (laughs) curated experience, which which will bring me to my first story. A little little briefer. Yeah. As I'm talking about these, um, getting into story number two, you know what I find it kind of interesting is that a lot of times, well, sometimes you'll do these excursions. It's like a proper vacation like you did. You take time off and you actually go off for a week. But what's kind of wild is that we'll have some of these crazy experiences that are just a normal weekend while traveling. Yes. And I'll most go and talk are. to people. Most of them are. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk to And we'll get into a few of these that are just one day or two days. Yeah. And I'll talk to people at home that don't do this lifestyle. And these will be stories that they talk about the rest of their lives. Like, and these are, <laughs> this is just a normal Saturday as a digital nomad. Yeah. You know, we'll just pick up yeah, something on a Friday true. night, say, this looks like a cool idea and this will be something that people plan and save up for, for two years. And then they'll, you know, use their two weeks of vacation. They get a year 
and it could be like the highlight of their lives. So that, yeah. that sounds kind of elitist to frame it that way, but that's the reality of it. You know, honestly, like these, some of it these is. adventures are just like a normal Saturday. Anyways, I'll get into a normal Saturday. Then. We were staying, we were, this, this adventure was not in San Cristobal de las Casas, but that's where we were staying, which is in Chiapas, Mexico. It's down close to Guatemala. And nearby, about an hour away or so, there is a place called uh, Tres Simoleres. I'm going to butcher that name. Three waterfalls. And they had been closed throughout the entirety of the pandemic. We got there in 2020 in the fall. And basically what it is, is they will take you in a truck, in the bed of a truck with like these bench seats. And they'll drive you across the mountainside, this beautiful mountainside. And you'll arrive at a camp, which is at the base of literally three waterfalls. And they start the adventure by you put on some swimsuits. We've already drank a couple beers because I'm there and, and I've, I've already brought beer and I'm, I'm the bad influence. <laughs> and they say, don't drink too much after we've already had two or three beers. I'm like, oh, all right, well, <laughs> whatever we're going to do, we're going to do. Wherever we end up, we end up. It's okay. We're going rock jumping. It's like, oh shit, <laughs> here we go. Rock so we start walking up to the t- to, well, rock jumping. Yeah, exactly. So we go into the waterfall and they find all of these little spots along the waterfall and they know it all by touch. So they have us walking across the river near these waterfalls hand in hand. And they're like, they know exactly where every rock is. So they tell you where to stand and where to walk to the next step. Ah. Something that could never happen in the United States. Because if you slip and fall, you go over a waterfall. (laughs) And then lawyers get involved and then bad things happen. That's why we don't live in the States for the majority of the time in our lives. (laughs) Anyway, I want... I need the fear of God in me every now and then. So we, we're walking across these these different little spots within the river, and then you just do rock jumping. And it's like one is just like, I don't know, like 20 feet, and another one's just like 10 feet. It's enough to think about it as you're going down, which is kind of a, a fun adventure. So we're doing this rock jumping, and then when we're done with that, they say, okay, we're going to do rappelling. And for anybody that doesn't know what rappelling is, it's basically you put on a harness, and you strap yourself into just like a, a rope or some some piece of wire, and you like just kind of rappel down the side of a face of a cliff or a mountainside. And this one was in particular was in a waterfall. It was in a waterfall, it's 120 feet up. And when you look over the side, 120 feet is a lot more when you're just going ass first over this side of this hill. It is. Scary. It's one of the scariest I've ever been. And as I'm going over the side of this thing, the guy tells me two instructions only. The first instruction is don't step in the hole that's about five feet down from where you're starting and don't look up because there's a lot more water this time of year. Like it was in the wet season than normal. And if you look up, you're going to be swallowing the river. And so the first thing I do is I step in the hole and look up. I sunk into the hole. I looked up and I drank maybe four gallons of river water <laughs> and then four finally, gallons. Like, That's four, I counted it because I puked it all up. <laughs> so I, I kicked, I rolled myself out of the hole and then finally just went all the way down, just shaking all the way down this, this cliff side. And then got to the bottom and it was, it was an incredible, it was an incredible rush of adrenaline. That was the first day. And then that night you actually sleep right at the base of this river or right at the base of the actual waterfall in the river. So like you wake up in the morning, you see this huge waterfall coming down. It's incredible. And then the next day they, they took you along. I didn't appreciate this, but everybody else did. They take you right to the front 
of the waterfalls and just let you take pictures right on the edge of the waterfall. Again, something you'd never do in the States because one little <laughs> slip and you and the other ones were bigger. It's probably 200 foot, 300 foot drop. It was enough to scare the hell out of me. So we did that. And then we actually went underneath the waterfall because he wanted to show us this really cool thing where there's like this, what's the word I'm looking for? Some sort of physics thing where like the air pushes up the water, like the water comes down oh, like and you're in like back. a little, and it circles back and the water and all the water droplets just kind of freeze in midair and they all float in front of you. And you just kind of poke oh. them like you're in space. Yeah, it's it was a total trip. That. Yeah, That's it's really like cool. an infection, convection, induction. Yeah, one of those T-I-O-N words it shoots the water back up and you can just poke the little droplets of water that are sitting in front of your face. That's cool. I've never heard of that. Uh, yeah, it was really, really cool. And it was fun because none of the tour guides could go out for six months. And so like every one of the tour guides, they only needed a couple, and but every one of them came out because they wanted to go on this trip so bad. So we got every one of them and like most of them just working for free because they wanted to go out there and they just wanted to go rock jumping Amazing. and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. And then we, uh, we made our way back and that was just a, that was a Friday night through a Sunday afternoon, just a normal, Full normal spot, trip. a normal weekend trip in Mexico. Yeah, exactly. Love so that. that's number two. That's number two. Oh, just, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, more? I was just going to say, I love, you know, we talked about these day trips and weekend trips mm. that are sometimes once in a lifetime experiences that are often lifetime experiences when you're a digital nomad. But it's also just a cool reminder to hear, you know, most weekends before I was living as a nomad was like, I'm going to get brunch with my friends or like maybe we'll go together camping or like to a lake nearby that I've seen a bunch of times. And these really are these like once, even if it's not once in a lifetime trips, they're just epic experiences that you haven't ever done before and you have the opportunity to do in all these places which is so cool but yeah that's a fun one all right so number three i'm going to try to whip these off a little shorter for sure so i'm going to go you mentioned the nigeria oracle we're going to stick with africa for a moment because i'm still in africa i'm in south africa now but nigeria was about two years ago or back in 29 maybe it was three years ago again just a day trip so i was living i know i can't believe it's that long ago i was living in lagos nigeria for the month as a nomad so just working during the normal week and then took a day trip to this little mountain town it's probably a two or three hour drive from the city where i was living and i went so Jeff knows me well and the fact that I love all the weird woo, for lack of a better word, like the weird spiritual things, like the mystical. You're a witch. I'll use, I'm a witch. <laughs> for those who don't know, I'd like to formally tell you all. Decide yeah. for yourself if we're joking, listeners. You'll, you'll get to know me. But this was one. So I don't, like, I love this stuff in my day-to-day -day life, but I don't always... I don't like to seek it out. I like for it to come to me. So I was with this guy. We were in Nigeria. He was taking us to this little island and he mentioned offhand. He was like, yeah, and then like the oracles and the mountains. And I was like, the what? <laughs> Tell me more. So it just kind of came to my attention. I didn't know it was there. But it's funny because before I got to Nigeria... I can't tell you how many people warned me, like, no, I guess knowing I like witchy sort of things, um, kept telling me, be careful, there's black magic in Nigeria. I was like, there's all magic is good, guys. Everyone's like, be careful, like the voodoo, black magic. Everyone kept talking about the black magic there. And as you learn from Namibia, I do no research before I go anywhere. I just like to show up and see what's there. So this is kind of what was fed to me of the black magic, but I wanted to experience it for myself. So we drove a couple hours to this little town and wound up in this smallest, I, I can't even tell you, like this tiny little village where this guy drove me to and served as a translator because these people um, did not speak any English. 
And the point of this, it was kind of to do this, this Nigerian ritual ritual that was passed down to this Oracle through his family. And the point of the ritual was supposed to be connect, connecting someone to their spirit guides, like your spirit friends. But I couldn't understand a word if this person was saying. So was it black magic curse? Who knows? I'll never know. But we went and we, he took me into this little hut. We sat on the ground and he got out. It was like ground corn, some puka shells, hot sauce, some shots of gin. <laughs> what else was there? I can't, like, it's just a weird mixture of things. And he had me like, hold up my hand. He made me like, lick my hand, put some corn on it, like rub it on my head, like do all these weird things. And again, this guy is translating for me. So what was happening? I don't actually know. And then afterwards, he was like, okay, now we come outside, we come outside. And around the back of this little hut are these troughs, for lack of a better word, of probably 20 dead, decaying chickens that looked like maybe they'd been sacrificed before. I'm really not sure. And just kind of going through this, these, these sort of chants. And then they were like, Marissa, Marissa, come, we pray, we pray. Those were the only words that uh, really translated in English. So I'm like, praying. I'm really just leaning over these dead chickens being like, what is happening? But that was definitely one of the adventures for me. And I just find it so fun to experience, I don't know, all the different rituals and different customs in local cultures all over the world. Like whether I agree with it or not, I just like to experience it. You just want witch stuff. I just want all the witch stuff. I like to see all, there was another woman, she was in a cave nearby. I went to two of them Mm. that day who I guess they use puka shells there, those little like, I don't know, yeah. like that you'd put on a necklace. And so instead oh, of- I was a people... puka shell. I oh wore the choker. God, you did. Uh, wait, I'm I older than picture. you. You missed that That's phase. True. I'm older than you. I wore the, I wore the, I'll find a picture. I, I if had I can, it too, but it's I'll funny. Send it I want to see. In the, I, I, if I can find one, I'll put it out in the show notes. But it was one of those send tight chokers. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that bad. That is amazing. What the, with the accoutrements and the Hawaiian shirt that goes with oh it, my uh, everything. God, Jeff. It was a phase. I wish it I might have been that. six months. It might have been a six-month phase in everybody's life where you had to wear Hawaiian clothes. It was wild. I don't think I had that phase. <laughs> Who made you wear? Hawaiian You're younger clothes? than me. You were too young. You missed it. Or is this like a weird California thing? I don't know. <laughs> this didn't happen in Atlanta, or maybe I'm not old enough. But surprisingly, so you know how people read tea leaves or a different sort of leaf in in most mystical things. People in Nigeria read, read puka, puka shells. So oh. this one woman, she they claimed she was like a hundred and something years old. I don't know how old she actually was, but she would read these puka shells, and again, this guy would translate. And I was really fascinated by what she said. And I asked her, I was like, how, I was in Nigeria for another couple of weeks after that. So I asked her, I was like, can I come train with you? (laughs) Like, how do I, I want to learn to do this. And she told me I had to come live in this cave for six months, like on this mountain. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe another time. That's pushing the digital nomad thing here. But anyway, that was, that was a Nigeria experience and it was a fun one for me. What's next on your list? Number four, I'm going to go back to Mexico, but I'm going to go to San Miguel de Allende um, for a set and setting for San Miguel. So for those of you who don't know, it's um, outside Mexico City, about three, four hours in a bus ride or so. And it's becoming a bit of a like a retirement for expats type of community just because the landscape is beautiful. The weather is ideal and the housing, the housing is really nice. Everything's really great around there. We went, this is just like a one day trip. We did ATVing, but we also did some horseback riding across some arroyos. And for those of you that haven't horseback 
ridden before. You can't go to full gallop in the States again because of liability things. Somebody flies off, horse lands on you, take all the fun out of everything. They don't let you do it. In Mexico, you can go to full gallop as much as you want. And so we would take <laughs> these horses and it was it was great. Like I I swear to God, I was born in the wrong decade, Marissa. Maybe I should have been like 1800s with my whittling wood and riding horses kind of things. You're about the wrong just, century, Jeff. <laughs> so a century, right? Maybe, maybe you're right. I was trying to give myself more credit than I deserved. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, riding we were riding horseback as fast as we can. Our our friend Kevin cannot get a horse to get into a gallop, so it's constantly in a trot, and all you see is his butt just getting pounded by the saddle it, it just looks like a car with absolutely no suspension and he's just getting beat to death on this thing and we're dying it's cracking us up at the end of this horseback ride we end up at the very top of an arroyo and again i wasn't sure that this was actually going to happen the guy says okay we're going to rappel off this cliff i'm like god damn it <laughs> another <laughs> rappelling and it was it was so much scary something about the waterfall makes it less scary because I think it's distracting. Maybe you don't notice the height as much, but we're, when you're on the top of an arroyo, all what you is see an arroyo? is straight... I've never heard this word before. It's like a, it's like a very flat area. It's like a very flat. If you imagine a hill, but it's completely flat on top and then just drops down. It's cliffside. Like plateau cliff. Okay. It's like a plateau cliff. Yeah, exactly. So you see everything and all you see is straight down in like a big pile of rocks that you're, you could potentially land in. And so it, it's some reason it made it much, much scarier because you didn't have the, the river distract you. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's scary. And same thing. It's the scaredest I've ever been in my life. He tells you the first thing you need to do is like, you need to walk off the back of this cliff. So your legs, like, like you're walking straight out, just push out and just kind of walk off the back. And it's so <laughs> counterintuitive. It's so unnatural. Yeah, that's what your brain no. is like. Don't do it. Don't do it. Everything in your brain says, as again, it was 120 feet, 40 meters, something like, I don't know, whatever that translates to. <laughs> it's straight down 30 meters, whatever. And it's so natural to your brain. And so they say, whatever you do, just like, don't go down on your butt and kick your legs up. So I did it. Okay. Like I've got this, we've got a video of it. The guy did some really great drone footage. I'm so glad he did because our friend Sam went off this thing. And the first thing that she did was buckle her knees and stick her legs straight up spread Eagle into the air. And she goes, and I'm at the bottom of the cliff and she is spread Eagle, just going ass first straight (laughs) down, not kicking off the side majestically like a, like a frog jumping off a cliff. She's just going ass first. And then we've got this beautiful pan out of the drone pulling out of her just twisting around in circles with her legs spinning straight up in the air. It's absolutely incredible. It was what it was one of the probably one of the most embarrassing moments of her life and one of the most hilarious moments of our life. So that was a quick number four. Again, that one was in Mexico. And after that, I'm going to take you out of Mexico. Number five, Marissa, what do you have? All right. Which one do I want to do for five? I'm going to say, I'll try this as a quick one too. This was more just a really special sort of adventure. It wasn't life-threatening or weird, but when we were in Mauritius lately, so actually I guess all Africa, I think of it as more of like a this little island doesn't feel as much like Africa, but I was living there for the month with Diego and a bunch of other digital nomads. And we had a friend who was living there for about two months before we got there. And she had made a bunch of friends with a bunch of the local guys who worked at the kite surfing shop 
and surfing and diving, that sort of thing. So they're really in the scene of, of all the local things going on in Mauritius, which is the best way to experience any destination. So one of the weekends that we were there, we did just a Saturday night overnight trip where we got a backpack of some belongings. We went out kite surfing for the day in one of the most beautiful locations I've ever been. And then it was like this like shallow, like white sand, blue water, you know, like up to your shins for miles and miles, just like outstanding. And there's this island nearby that is just, you know, a, a public island. But the guys there brought all of these tents and sleeping bags. No, there were no sleeping bags. We slept on nothing, just tents and um, brought food and all the stuff. And we just slept. There's probably 20 of us on this local island looking out at probably the most spectacular mountain that if you Google Mauritius, it's it's what comes up and it's called Lamorne, where we, again, I feel like in the States, you A, wouldn't be able to do it or B, would have to rent it out for like a gazillion dollars. And somehow we just like walked up onto this island, like walked, waded through all of these sea urchins, just like pulled up on this beach and spent like the most, the, just a really cool night, like under the stars, under the moon, looking up at, at just like, pinch yourself of how, hmm. how is this my life? How did I, you know, as I was standing there, you know, at midnight looking up at the moon as man, I really am thinking to myself, how, how is this my life? Like, how, how did I get here? How is this a normal Saturday night? Like, just so grateful. I'm like still at a loss for words thinking of this moment, but it's another one of those things where I, I just, you know, even if I wasn't living as a nomad, I probably would have never gotten to Mauritius in my life or, you know, met someone who know all these locals, I would have been staying at, you know, if I were to even get there, I just would have probably been staying at some like hotel resort and not exploring the way like in this way. And anyway, it was just one of those really incredible, not scary adventures, but just cool Mm -hmm. pinch pinch me adventure. So I'll I'll stop it there. Yeah. Not all of them need to be like heart stopping. (laughs) Some of them are. (laughs) Flying off. The most memorable ones. Some of them are. are. Yeah, they always involve some degree of danger and, and the possibility of threat of life. Getting into number six for me, we're going to be where I am right now in Colombia, but going back about three years ago, actually, when I first met Diego, this was a three-part trip in one day. So it was action-packed. We went to Peñol, which is this, you've seen a picture of it, you just don't know it. It's a big rock near Watape. And you climb up to the very top of this rock. It's something like 500 steps, 500 stairs. And it has a beautiful view of everything. Great start to the day, ton of exercise. When we finished that, we went down the road is a two-part adventure. It was parasailing or paragliding. I always confuse the two. One of them Parasailing is in the ocean. Paragliding's like the wind over gliding. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. That's... Uh, that was a horrible description, but actually I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, so it's paragliding. So it's like a parachute. You run off this this like grassy cliff. Again, why do I keep jumping off of cliffs? This is, I hate <laughs> heights, rough. Marissa. I hate heights, yet I keep jumping off travel. of stuff. <laughs> yes, I don't know. Have, have I gained anything from that? Probably not. Anyways. <laughs> I jumped off another cliff, but this time it was on a it was on a parasail. And what that is is basically you, you jump off this cliff with this parachute and you just kind of float around with a guide all over the place. And so he takes you all over and you just do up and down and sideways all through this canyon and through this valley. And it's really, really pretty. But for me, the motion sickness was just insane. Same thing for Diego. Yeah, he I actually didn't do it with me because he says you get 
there's just so much sensory input and it's like with you twisting around and all of the all the visuals you get it's just it's way too much it makes you kind of sick to your stomach so it did that for me i'm glad i did it i'm never gonna do that again part two of the trip we went through we went down the mountain into some whitewater rapids so and when we say whitewater rapids it was definitely that like we were with a few tour guides that were they made us wear helmets and everything and uh reason being is because when you go through these rapids you end up going over waterfalls and a lot of people got like pitched off the rapids they got pitched <laughs> off of their rafts and we they taught us how to fish people they're like okay so when these people coming up fly out of their raft and they will <laughs> this is how you take your oar and you don't hit them in the head and just like hand it to them and then you fish them out and we'll pull them out it's going to be fine sure enough everybody flew out of the rafts and got sucked under the water it was wild again only something that you can get away with in latin america right and finally we made it to the end of that thing and we're just kind of cruising through the rapids and you look through well just kind of like the still parts of the rapids and you're looking at the terrain and it just looks jurassic park because you're in this you're in this river and you see nothing but just jungle all around you these huge vines and trees and everything and a few people actually commented, they're like, oh my God, there's where's the dinosaurs? We're looking for <laughs> looking for alligators, we're looking for velociraptors on the shorelines waiting to eat us, that kind of thing. So we finished up that day finally. And we get in this, uh, we get in the truck, and the truck driver cracks open a beer and starts driving. And we're like, oh great, this the adventure is still going. <laughs> and we go through this part where you couldn't see three feet in front of you. And I ask her as she's drinking her beer, what is this? Why can't we see anything? This feels dangerous. She says, oh, we're driving through a cloud. Don't worry about it. I do it all the time. I'm like, you're driving through a cloud. I, I can't, there's cars coming the other direction. You can't see a damn thing. And she's drinking. Uh, and finally we make it back. So fortunately it didn't run into anybody, didn't run off the cliff, which I fully expected to happen at that point. Oddly enough, that was the scariest part of the entire adventure. Um, glad I made it out of that one. None of those things I've, would look back on and say, I actually want to do it again. <laughs> but <laughs> As some sure. of travel, I always say it's like the most fun things I never want to do again. hundred percent, hundred percent. Take me to number seven. Okay. It's actually wasn't on my list, but it was reminding me just as you were talking of all the like through waterfalls and all of that in the Philippines, I did I forget what they called it, but it, I think people in the States sometimes call it like spelunking, but it was the same of in this place where you're like jumping off of these cliffs into rivers, like sliding through these rocks, all of that. Mm. So I just wanted to add that on to yours. That wasn't my actual one, but yeah, lots of rafting, cave, cliff jumping, all, all of the things are on my list too. But the one I'm actually mm. going to do next, which I'd forgotten about until I remembered the phrase, the most fun thing I never want to do again, was actually one of the biggest, I think the biggest food fight in the world. I don't know if you know this one in Spain. It's called the Tomatina Festival. And once a year, it's this town about an hour outside Valencia. And you go and it's a, it's a tomato food fight. So it started apparently as a tradition. <laughs> it's the Amazing. weirdest. It started as a tradition where I think it was just, it's like this tiny little town in the middle of Italian, or um, sorry, Spanish town in the middle of nowhere. And it started as like a food fight. I don't remember if it was between like neighbors or people or whatever happened in the street. And then they redid it every year and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger to where people will just come from all over the world to go to this festival. And 
when I say like you're filled in these streets, almost there are these like buildings on each side of it. So you can't, you're, you're packed in like sardines on these little, like on these streets. And it's more crowded than even a concert ever is. Like you're, you're so pushed up against every other person, you can hardly move. And then these, like the size of a garbage truck, like that picks up trash collection. And I think it actually is garbage trucks. That's the whole bed is filled with tomatoes. Mm-hmm will drive through the already crowded street. So you're like smashed even more up against the people next to you, against the wall, whatever you're near. And then they're just throwing like thousands of pounds of tomatoes. <laughs> and then like the streets are filled like up to your knees with tomatoes. And I was okay. So I'm I'm fairly tall. So I was actually okay because I could see out over people. But some of my friends who were a little bit shorter, literally midway through were like, I got to get the F out of here. Like, I can't breathe. I can't see. Like, I'll, yeah, like, I, I, I'll see you on the backside. Like, I'll see you when this is over and, and actually had to leave because it was so intense. So again, it looks fun. It sounds fun. It was a cool experience mm-hmm. that I will never do again, but I kind of forgotten about that one, but that's on the list there. Yeah. Next, all of a sudden things are starting to <laughs> pop up in my brain. I got a few quick ones, not huge story adventures, but yeah. first time I went, uh, in a hot air balloon was in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was a trip. I do. I do love Mexico. Me, me and our friend Jim, like that's, if I end up stationary at any point in my life, it's going to be in Mexico without a doubt. There's just Probably so many great too, places. But in know. a different location, I'll, I'll be by the beach. You'll be in the city. <laughs> I just don't want sand in my shit. I, that's it. I, I just don't sand like everywhere. sand. I don't want sand anywhere. I don't want I don't want to find one grain of sand in my bed. I'll know that it's it's like a mosquito in the room. I'll know it's there and I won't sleep. It's gonna drive me to crazy. me it's a it's a good life when there's sand in my life. <laughs> oof. Oof. God, keep it keep it in the city. All right. So this one was in the city. Also also in San Miguel. We went in a hot air balloon. First time doing that. Again, heights that somehow have we done heights three times? Three times in a row for me with hot, four times. I think it's just like getting over it. I don't know. I always wanted to do hot air balloon and it was five in the morning. Little did I know you have to go out first thing in the morning. Yeah. And have you done a hot air balloon before? I've done one in Turkey and one in Myanmar, uh-huh. both two epic experiences. Yeah. It is an epic experience. Yeah. You start first thing in the morning and you go and get, you're literally in a basket you're in a floating bomb it doesn't make any again there's a cognitive dissonance there where you're it doesn't make sense in your brain what you're about to do yet you're gonna do it anyways so you get in this giant basket which i believe is a wicker basket and it's just really really big and you've got your own little spot and i think there was uh maybe 12 other people in this big it's bigger than i expected i think there's like 12 other people in the basket and all of a sudden the guy cranks the the big fire shoot the fire flamethrower thing i don't know what it is like it's a very official terminology yeah flame he hits the flamethrower and then it's loud right you remember how like it is it's surprising and it's a giant flame yeah yeah it's like a jet taking off yeah and it loads loads up the balloon full of hot gases and all of a sudden you just you shoot up and all of a sudden you're like your stomach's up in your throat and you're looking down and you get this weird vertigo thing because all this you know you're not really you're not really moving. You're just going straight up off the earth, kind of like a really fast elevator, but you can see everything down and it's, it's kind of jarring at first, but then once you get a feel for it, like it's absolutely beautiful. You get the, some of the best views you could possibly get of the city. Yeah. You're just kind of 
like gliding along and then he'll do this thing where he kind of maps the earth and goes down really low and you get within like a few feet of the ground and just kind of like go above the hills and back down and back up again and then shoot up and then shoot down and everything. And then all the dogs in the cra- in the city go crazy because it makes the same frequency. Like you can't hear it. It's oh, like a dog whistle. Hmm. Every dog in the city was losing its fucking mind because apparently <laughs> it makes the same frequency as like a oh, dog whistle. Interesting. And it's unusual to do it over a city. That's that's very different too. Yeah, the honestly, the location, I'd say go hot air ballooning. I would say probably not do it in San Miguel because it's not the best view. I'm sure the ones that you saw were like a lot better, a lot more yeah, scenic and picturesque. For, for hot ballooning, to me, the actual balloon ride itself isn't that exciting. What's cool is one, if you're in a location, I don't know if you had this. So where I went in mm. Turkey and in Myanmar, they're both two super famous locations to go up and over and like to look down on what you're seeing is really cool. But also there's usually hundreds or at least dozens of other hot air balloons at the same time. So what's actually cooler is seeing all of the other hot air balloons with you is really magical. Mm-hmm. And then if you're wanting to see an aerial view of where you're at. So for me in, in Turkey, it was in Cappadocia, which is that like Flintstone looking cave town, which is so cool to see from above. And then in Myanmar, it's all of these pagodas and it's in a place called Bagan, which is one of the coolest places I've ever been. And it's all of these, all of these like pagodas just stretched over like thousands of them over these fields. So it's, there's no way to see it all by foot. So for both of these to see it from the air is so cool. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. It's a completely, you, you wouldn't think of it, but it's a completely different way to look at a landscape. Like you think, oh, it's just, it's a higher view. It is a higher view, but it's also like you're fully exposed. It feels feels like yeah. you're floating. It feels like yeah, in a dream. Cool. It's it's really weird. It's it's like you're you're actually flying. Cool. We're we're gonna do one more each. Uh, Marissa, give me your last one, and then do I'll do my last one. Super quick one, and then we can do a joint last one of experience in Bolivia. That'll be a quick one and a teaser for maybe a future episode. But my last one is is a short one. I haven't talked much about Asia. So for me, one of the coolest things I did was it was a two or three day motorbike kind of road trip through northern Vietnam. So from Hanoi, which is a good place where a lot of digital nomads like to live, it was about a four-hour drive and then rode around with a bunch of these local guys on a motorcycle for two days through, it's called the Hazeng Loop. And just one an epic adventure to be on a motorcycle like that for, for several days and just amazing views. And again, just I don't know. There's Vietnam's a really magical, special place to me. And it was just one of those pinch me moments again, where I'm like, how is this just a weekend trip in my life? But such a cool one. What's last? That's a dream. Yeah. You would have loved it. That's your your dream. I've yeah. You know, I've been a motorcycle rider since I was a little kid. However, I probably shouldn't do it for the listeners. Like I've, if we have cat lives, I've used all of mine, <laughs> some of some of Marissa's, probably yeah, some of yours. <laughs> and every time I get back on a motorcycle, something random happens and it just reminds me like you're not supposed to be on a motorcycle. Something out there just keeps telling me you're not allowed to be on motorcycles anymore. And oh. I it's I can't get back on a bike, but that does sound like an amazing you would love an amazing it trip. Some way. Uh, so we're gonna do my last one and then we'll do a joint one. Yeah. Yeah. My last one. Let's go to oh, I've got I've got a two in Romania. Let's let's talk about Dracula's castle and the bear sanctuary. Yeah, one day. Yeah, yeah, one day trip to Dracula's castle. 
Did you expect that it was going to be huge? <laughs> Dracula's castle, right? You like thought it, it would be, be some... bigger than it was, you're saying? It's like a hobbit castle. It's tiny. Yeah, it's tiny. Oh. It was much smaller than I expected. Interesting. Like it didn't castle. cross my mind. But it's up on a really dramatic hill, so it feels... If, if it had been on the ground, I might have thought it was a little less dramatic. Yeah. But on the hill, it was dramatic, but it was far more touristy than I ever imagined it would be. And Dracula Very never lived there. They're, they've got a good marketing thing going on there. But talk about it. What was your experience? They were even giving away vaccine shots there to try to get <laughs> yes, people to come that. to the castle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the actual castle itself, I would say, ranks pretty low. And I, I wouldn't even put it on the list, but it was more of the day combination of things that we did that made it a special day for me. So the actual Dracula's castle outside of... Brashov? Outside of Brashov, mm -hmm. maybe about an hour or so. And it's it's like Marissa said, it's on a hillside. It's it's kind of small and it's fun. Like they've got this courtyard where they would have like all the archers, should there be some sort of incursion. And they've got all the little window slits where you'd have archers shoot at incoming enemies and that kind of thing. And you've got all the fun stuff that you'd expect out of a castle. Like you can, they used to have like a secret trap door that you could walk through the fireplace to get to the upstairs area. And if somebody broke through into the castle, you could have a whole bunch of people storming down the stairs and bursting through the fireplace to attack people, which is all the things that you're looking for in a castle. Very fun, a lot smaller than I expected. I think the exciting part was, the most fun part was right down at the bottom of the castle and across this little creek they're having celebration because all the sheep came home like <laughs> all the sheep go into the mountainsides yeah they're celebrating the sheep coming home the sheep go into the mountainsides you know during the spring and the summer where it's nice and warm and then during the winter they come down when it's when it's cold out and they all celebrate by you know making a lot of things out of out of sheep wool and eating them <laughs> so we had this big celebration for the sheep by uh, a lot of people eating these sheep. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It was like this big fair and there's all these stands and people cooking a bunch of food, all kinds of stuff, people dancing, traditional Romanian dances, which was a lot of fun. So that was part one of the trip. And then part two, they, they had this bear sanctuary in Romania and they have a bear sanctuary because when they joined the EU, they had to agree to animal rights legislation. And back at that time, they had a lot of brown bears. It's the largest concentration of brown bears in Eastern Asia, in or sorry, Eastern Europe, and probably many parts of Asia. And uh, they had all of these brown bears, like grizzly bears, as attractions in front of restaurants and stores and even gas stations. And they would do horrible things to these bears. They're trapped in captivity. They would blind them. I won't even get into the details, but mm. they would they, they would use it as an attraction. As part of becoming part of the EU, Romania was required to release these bears. And anybody with any common sense realizes if you release these 200 some odd bears are in captivity immediately you're going to have some pretty serious problems so they didn't really think that through they just released them and you've got all these bears running around and they don't know how to eat they don't know how to hunt and so what do they do they go and try to find food from humans like they've been taught to do it caused a huge huge problem so what they did was they create this big sanctuary in the hillside acres and acres and acres where they just let all these bears free with enough space where they could roam around and kind of live out the rest of their lives. And so they still adopt out these bears. There's 107 bears at this bear sanctuary. I, I'm not going to remember the name. And they let in people to a very small part of it. 
where they feed them bear ice cream. So you've got these big, it's adorable, Marissa. You've got this big truck full of bear ice cream and they throw it over the fence and all the bears come in and they eat ice cream and you can watch the bears. And it's like the only human interaction that you're going to have with these bears because they want to keep it as a sanctuary and not as, as a zoo. So they could be free and they're not like, you know, they're not being observed like they have been for the, for the entirety of their lives. And you just see these bears eating ice cream. And this one bear eats his, grabs this big old chunk like the size of him and he runs away with it. You can see these big old bear butt cheeks running off into the woods with a big old shard of ice cream. It was adorable. <laughs> so random. There's a bunch of, it was very random. And I thought it was so cool because it was so random because it was such a good story. And there's some baby bears in there. They're climbing trees and looking at us all funny and everything. And it was, it was really cute. It was really nice to see all of these, you know, all these really tortured bears for their entire lives, like living out a nice rest Aww, of their life. So it's kind sweet. of a nice, it, yeah, it's a nice story. I'm glad Romania is doing that. That's really good. So pretty much, I think like 99% of the captive bear population is now there in that sanctuary wow. living peaceful lives. Cool. I didn't lives. go to the sanctuary there, but I did see some of those uh, wild brown bears just up in the mountains there, like while we were driving. Yeah. They're so cute. They're so, so cute, but that's a fun one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, last on our, on our oh. adventure stories is ayahuasca in Bolivia. So Jeff and I were in Bolivia together. And at some point, Jeff, we'll do a full download of like, it probably takes several episodes of before, after, during, who knows. But you fill us in, Jeff, like why was ayahuasca such an adventure? <laughs> we, I don't think we can. <laughs> we, we can't do this at the back of an episode. This has to be a teaser. <laughs> I mean... It, sure. Let's give them a preview. Let's just give them the, the trailer, the movie trailer. Well, first explain um, what ayahuasca is for someone who might not know. Ayahuasca is, it's a drug. It's like a it's medicine. It is plant, medicine. but it's a mess. It's a plant. <laughs> it's also a drug. It has a DMT in it. <laughs> so it's uh it's two parts. One is the ayahuasca plant or vine, I think. And then the other part is another plant that carries a DMT in it. And one part of this medicine, this drink is, is how <laughs> it's prepared for you, makes it so that your body doesn't break down the DMT. So basically like you have parts of your, uh, parts of your enzymes that can break down DMT and it won't make it available to you to cross the blood brain barrier. This part of the plant will make it so it is available to you. So you get the full DMT experience. And it is a, it's a traditional plant medicine that's done with a shaman and it's done in a variety of different ways as we've seen, depending on where you are. Very popular in Peru. You can get some in Colombia. We did it in Bolivia. It's also experiences you can you can have that you can talk about too in Mexico. It's all over the place now. And people have talked about ayahuasca experiences. Our experiences, our experience that we're going to talk about, I think in full detail down the road was a five-day ceremony. So three ayahuasca, <laughs> you see, yeah, you laugh, three ayahuasca experiences over the period of five days, including a diet, which was probably no more than 400 to 500 calories a day, starving diet, basically. That was hard. So, <laughs> That's really hard. That might have been the hardest part. I, I think it was. What was the hardest part? Was the ayahuasca the hardest part? Was the cold the high, hardest part? Was cold. the starving the hardest part? Was <laughs> the, the combination. 
the Temescal of two and a half hours where he told us even if we felt like we were going to die, we couldn't leave. <laughs> yeah, what was forgot about that. Take your, take your pick. It wasn't the ayahuasca. It was all of it was the yeah. hardest part. Incredible experience. One, maybe the hardest experience I've gone through in yeah. quite a long time. It requires a proper download. We need, we need a 45 minute block to do this justice. Yeah. yeah. Stay we tuned, will do it. Yeah? So yeah, stay tuned. It was an adventure and ayahuasca is, I think, becoming a little bit more known. I know when I did it, no one, my family mm-hmm. friends really knew much about it, but it's such an amazing, again, they call it plant medicine with the shaman and it really is meant as kind of like whatever your worst fears are, whatever your blocks are, whatever you're scared of, whatever you can't move through past traumas, whatever it is for you, ayahuasca, it's like you, it's, it's not hallucinogenics like some drugs are, but it's like very inward and you see visions that feel very real and it really helps you to process and move through these things. So it's, it's not like a fun drug. It is, it is a hard experience. It is a life shifting no. experience. The and vine of death. It's the not vine. a fun drug. <laughs> no. It's called the vine of, of death. Is it called that? That's what, that's what our shaman said. Yeah, I watched. It. He said, "Yeah, it translates to the vine of death." <laughs> oh, I don't think I have blocked it, but it is. It was such an amazing experience. Definitely one of the hardest things. And again, you have to eat as or it's, it's best if you have a certain like really clean diet before and all of that. So we'll talk about this in a lot more detail at some point. Send us an email if you want to hear more about it. But overall, uh, just the kind of big picture takeaway from all of these things Jeff and I talked about today. Life as a digital nomad, there's there's so many benefits. There's so many hard parts as well. And today I just want to say, it's like, if you want to live, if you want to live, if you want to feel like you've lived a full life, again, these are a, a small, small fraction of adventures that Jeff and I are like, oh yeah, you talked about this. I forgot I did that. Like they just go mm-hmm. on and on and on. And so I think my key takeaway as, as we were talking now is just what a full, you know, once in a lifetime moments that most people live, we're living usually once a month, if not more. And to me, it is a life well lived. It is a, just such a full adventurous life that I always say, like, if I died today, and I hope I don't, I don't think I will anytime soon, but like, I feel like I have fully lived. And to me, that's, that's the purpose of life. And so if you're listening to this thinking, you know, one day I'll become a digital nomad or wouldn't it be nice if, please use us as resources, as inspiration. We always uh, say this guide, but check out beachcommute.com slash 91. It's 91. Back to remote jobs. Like this is how you, this is how you have these experiences by having a remote job that allows you to be in a different country so you can have these epic, you know, weekend or, or weekday adventures. So check that out. Jeff, any other thoughts as we wrap this up? You heard probably the highlight reels. And like Marissa said, there's normal adventures that happen every single weekend. You know, this last weekend I did, I stayed in a bubble glamping. Have you heard of that bubble bubble? Of course I have, but why didn't you post any pictures? I haven't seen it. I should have taken, I'm horrible with pictures. You know, I I, know. Sometimes you post. I know. Sometimes and, I do. I don't know yeah. how to saturate them. And I, this I past weekend, I hiked up like one of the most famous. I'm in Cape Town in South Africa. I hiked Lion's mm-hmm. Head, and I'm like, that wasn't even on my list. Like that's just yep. Saturday. That was that was just two days ago. Oh yeah, by the way, yeah. <laughs> so there you have it, folks. That's a uh, ten and a half highlight uh, adventures as a digital nomad. Thanks again for joining us and stay tuned. I don't know when we're going to do it. We will do the exclusive ayahuasca experience <laughs> over 
one or two parts. We'll see how we do. It's yeah. fairly unrehearsed um, <laughs> and pretty raw. It's big. Yeah. It's heavy. It weighs heavily on our lives. Not doesn't weigh heavily on our lives, but it's a big part of our lives. Here for that. And thanks for joining us today. We will see you next time. All right, that is a wrap on this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd love to travel the world while working remotely and making an income, check out beachcommute.com slash 91. It's a document where we share 91 actual job titles from real digital nomads in our community so you can get some inspiration and see what remote jobs might be out there for you as well. We can't wait for you to start traveling the world too, and we'll see you in our episode next week. Have a great day. Oh, 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 oh,